Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you've been with us for any time, you'll know that normally we're preaching, Pastor Bailey's preaching through 1 Corinthians, and that once a month uh, we have men uh, now who have graduated from our pastor's college who've been preaching through 2 Corinthians. We've been doing that for a long time because it takes a long time to preach through a book once a month. Uh, and we hope to be done in March. And uh, David Abusara was scheduled to preach this section of scripture this morning. And because of his work up at the church plant in Indianapolis, he wasn't able to come. So I said that I would handle these verses for him. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ's, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for the building you up, for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say... His letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. This is the word of the Lord. We've seen this over and over again as the men have been preaching through this letter of 2 Corinthians, this letter is about conflict. It's about fighting. There is a fight going on. And the conflict is about the Apostle Paul's authority in the Corinthian church. We've seen signs of this conflict kind of bubble up to the surface every now and then. We've seen it underneath the surface a lot. And sometimes it bubbles up to the surface where we see it come out. But from here on out, chapters 10 to 13, things are going to get very intense. Chapters, in chapters 10 to 13, Paul takes the gloves off. And it starts sounding a lot like the book of Galatians. If you are familiar with the book of Galatians, you know that Paul uses every trick in the book to win the Galatians back from the brink of heresy and apostasy, falling away from Christ and eternal destruction. He uses every trick in the book. 
And he does exactly the same thing here in 2 Corinthians 10 to 13. He pulls out all the stops. He uses all the tricks. He takes off the gloves and he starts fighting his enemies. He's sarcastic. Look with, have, keep your Bible open. We're gonna, I'm going to show you several passages. Look at chapter 11, verse 19. Chapter 11, 19 to 21. He says, For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it. If anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. Dripping, cutting with sarcasm. Chapter 12, verse 13. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. He is not above pulling out the knife of sarcasm and cutting his enemies with it. And not just his enemies, but the people in the church who are being tempted to be Drawn away by his enemies. He's sarcastic. What else does he do? He uses ad hominem arguments. Ad hominem arguments don't just deal with the the argument. They deal with the man. Name calling. Calling his character into question. Look at what he says in chapter 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. He's not dealing with their logic. He's not dealing with their arguments. He just says, here's what these men are. He questions their motives. Chapter 11, verse 12. Just look up at verse 12. This is the one thing we're never supposed to do. Well, all of these things are things we're never supposed to do. But he questions their motives. And he says, I know what they're really thinking. Look at chapter 11, 12. But what, I, but what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. He says, I know what these men are thinking. I know what they want. All they want is to be regarded, to be esteemed by you. In other words, Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does all the things that we are not allowed to do today. You're not allowed to be sarcastic, because that's not loving, not helpful. You're certainly not allowed to be uh, to assign motives and say, I don't care what they say, I know what they're thinking, and I know why they're saying it. And you're certainly not allowed to use ad hominem. You're not allowed to attack the man. Paul does it all the time. All the time. And so the things that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to do in Scripture are the very things that we are told never to do. The weapons that God has given us are taken away. Well, why is Paul so intense? He's intense because of what his enemies are like. He knows who he's up against. And he tells us who he's up against over and over again in the book of 2 Corinthians. It comes through all through Scripture, all through this this book. 
And sometimes it comes through what his enemies are like comes through by the by the way he describes himself in contrast to other people. He says, I'm not like that. I'm like this. And we can understand that when he says, I'm not like that, he's talking about the people, the the false apostles in Corinth, that these Christians are being tempted to be drawn away away by. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.17, for example. He says, For we are not like many peddling the word of God. His enemies peddle the word of God. You know what it means to peddle something? We don't get this as much anymore. Um, We still get some of it. Uh, Sometimes men will come knocking on your door, trying to sell you something, right? It used to be hairbrushes, motor oil, encyclopedias. Some of you have done that for a living. (laughs) Is that you, Archie? Didn't you used to sell books? Well, he was a peddler. (laughs) These men, when you hear of someone peddling something, what do you think? Dishonest, shading the truth, selling you a bill of goods. These men peddle the word of God. They shave it down. They make it sound triumphant only, attractive only, encouraging only. And Paul says, we are not like some. We are not like many peddling the word of God. He also says they adulterate the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 2. He says, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. Adding things to it, mixing it with stuff that doesn't belong. Watering it down. This is what his enemies do. They adulterate the word of God. They twist it. These enemies of Paul's point to their lack of suffering as the sign of their own authenticity and of God's blessing. They're saying to the people, Paul must not be blessed of God. Look how hard his life is. Look how bad his life is. Look how easy our life is. We must be the ones who are blessed of God. And this is why Paul constantly is talking about his own suffering. All through this letter, he says, his suffering is the major mark of his authenticity as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over again, he points this out. Just listen, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Chapter 4, verse 8, starting in verse 8. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Chapter 6, starting in verse 4. He says, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. He says, this is the way that we show that we're servants of God. How? In much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in in purity, in knowledge, in patience. 
in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. This is, this is what commends us as genuine apostles, as genuine servants of Jesus Christ. It's not that our life is easy, it's that it's, that it's hard. His enemies are saying the opposite. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 12, that his enemies, these false apostles, take pride in appearance and not in heart. More concerned about what they look like, about their popularity, about their prestige, than they are in their heart. So Paul is very intense about these enemies of his because of what they're like. He's also intense because of what these enemies do. Look again at chapter 11, verse 20. Look at what he says about them. He says, they enslave the Corinthians. These are the men who are supposedly their servants, their ministers, the, these false apostles. He says they enslave the Corinthians. They devour them. They eat them. They take advantage of them. They exalt themselves. They hit them in the face. This is what these false apostles do. This is how they treat the sheep. They fleece them. And the Apostle Paul, as a good, faithful, humble shepherd, will not allow these people to be treated that way. And Paul's intense because of what's at stake. Chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Here's what's at stake. He says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So what's at stake? Their souls are at stake. They are being led astray from Christ. Their souls are at stake. And because the Corinthians are, are not just tempted to turn away from Paul. They are tempted to turn away from Christ. Because to turn away from an apostle is to turn away from Christ. So yes, Paul is intense. He is intense because he loves these people. He has given his life for them. He has poured himself out for them. And now these, these hipsters, these slicksters, these smooth-talking deceivers, these big-haired, fancy-dressed, self-promoting servants of Satan are trying to destroy them, and Paul will not let that happen. That's what's going on. 
in general. What's going on in this passage in particular? Look again at chapter 10. What's going on in particular here in 2 Corinthians 10 is that Paul's enemies are dismissing Paul. That's what they're constantly trying to do, undermine his authority, making the Corinthians think less of him. And they're dismissing Paul this time with the words in verse 10. He says, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is what? Unimpressive. Unimpressive. And his words, his speech, contemptible. You can tell what what they're impressed by, right? Appearance and lofty speech. This is why Paul says sarcastically in verse 1, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. Again, sarcasm. Because the Corinthians know better. They know Paul. You read the account in the book of Acts about Paul in Corinth. He's there for months on end. And the Corinthians know better. They know Paul. They know what he is like. They know what, that, this, that this dismissive charge is a load of nonsense. They know better. They should know better. But they're starting to, to buy it. They're starting to be persuaded by this line that Paul is a big talker when he's away, but when he comes, he's a wimp. Now, there are a lot of people who are like that, right? A lot of you do this with email. Big talker from a distance. Hit the send button. But when it comes to actually dealing with it face-to-face, you'll, you won't do it. Well, this isn't Paul. What's going on? What's happened here? The Corinthians have forgotten the true marks of a true apostle of Jesus Christ, and they have started to be impressed by outward things. And we know this is true because of what Paul says to them in verse 2. He says, Some regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, what's he mean by that? Verse 7 tells us, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. All all you're worried about is the outward appearance, the the show, the, the glitz, the shine, the appearance. The Corinthians are starting to be impressed by the bling of Paul's enemies. Starting to be moved by it, impressed by it, wooed by it. They've started to be impressed by the glitz of the false apostles. They've they've started to take big hair and shiny suits and big cars for granted as if those things were the true mark of a true apostle, that kind of man. They've started to assume that a real apostle is a powerful man. An important man, a prestigious man, a popular man. That's what a true apostle is. But this Paul, well, (laughs) 
he starts fights wherever he goes. Riots break out. He has no polish. He has no tact. He doesn't know how to to win friends and, and influence important people. He stirs up trouble wherever he goes. He isn't all that good looking. When he came to us, he did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. He did not impress us with our ability to follow his reasoning and and appreciate his vocabulary and understand his rhetoric. He, He talked to us as if we were farmers and workers and sinners. And all he really talked about was this unsophisticated, really kind of grotesque, barbaric message about the cross and blood, and death. And he actually was weak. Come to think of it, remember when he came to us? He didn't, when he spoke of this cross, he didn't do it with persuasive words of wisdom. He did it with fear and trembling. You see, these Christians, these Corinthians, are starting to be impressed by the shine of Paul's enemies, starting to be blinded by the light of the glory of these servants of Satan. And this is our constant temptation, too. You know this is our constant temptation. How big is his church? I'll take him seriously. If you can tell me how big his church is, how many books has he written? How many conferences does he speak at? How many hits on his blog? How how much money does his church bring in in a year? Who does he run with? Who praises him? Who writes the blurbs for the back of his books? How many magazine covers has he been on? How good looking is he? What's his wife look like? How many books has she written? How easy is his life? How many people like him? Has he arrived? Oh, we're so easily impressed by this stuff, aren't we? And this is all regarding men after the flesh. This is all to look at things outwardly. This is our constant temptation, and it's always wrong. Because none of it has to do with reality. Only appearance. Now, what does Paul say to all of this? How does he deal with this? Well, he begins by being very tender with the Corinthians. Look at verse 1. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Do you hear the tenderness there? Do you hear the the compassion, the patience, the kindness? Do you see how tender he's being? Look at what he says. I, Paul. Now, have they forgotten who's writing this letter? 
They know who's writing. Why does he have to say, I, Paul? I, Paul, myself. Listen to me. This is me. Remember, this is me. This is Paul. I, Paul, myself. The one who labored for you. The one who fought for you. The one who spent months with you. Day in and day out teaching you. The one who, when I was with you, worked with my own hands. Making tents so you wouldn't have to pay me. The one who constantly carries the weight of your well-being no matter where I am. The one who loves you. I, Paul, myself, I urge you. I come up alongside you and I put my arm around you and I, I encourage you. I exhort you. I, I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Look at how meek and gentle Christ is. He's the friend of sinners. He loves little children. He himself said, come to me, all you who who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm meek and gentle, and you'll find rest for your souls. This is Jesus Christ. Look at him. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ... Now, what does he urge them to do? Verse 2. I ask that when I am present, when I come to Corinth, I ask that I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some. He wants to be tender with them. He wants to be tender with them. He wants to be soft with them. He urges them to make it so that when he comes to them in person, he won't have to be hard on them. This is what every shepherd wants. This is what every shepherd wants. We want to be tender with you when we discipline you. We want to be like what Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. That is what we want. Believe me, that's what we want. We don't want to go around picking fights, being hard. In fact, Paul says in Titus 1, if that's what we wanted, if your elders and pastors wanted to go around picking fights, we would be disqualified from the work. We don't want to go around being mean, being harsh. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Jesus was tender and meek and gentle and soft, but was he always that way? Matthew 23, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? 
Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. John chapter 2 says this, And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables, and he made a scourge of cords. It blows me away every time I read this. The Son of God, the creator of, of, of the heavens and the earth, walks into the temple, sees what's going on, says, I know what I need to do. And he goes and he finds some cords, he finds some rope, and he makes what? A whip. It's got to be the best whip ever made. Made by the Son of God, a whip. He took the time. This isn't just him flying off, you know, losing his temper. He sits down. He makes a whip. What do you do with whips? You hit people with them. And that's what he does. He made a scourge of cords and drove them out, all of them, out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Does that sound meek and gentle? So which is it? Which is it? Jesus, meek and gentle, or Jesus, bold and harsh? Well, obviously, he was both. And his faithful shepherds will be both. Jesus is tender with those who are themselves tender. He is soft with those who have a soft conscience. He is a friend of repentant sinners. And if you are a repentant sinner... You will never find anyone so tender, so patient, so gentle, so filled with mercy and kindness than Jesus Christ. But if you're a hardened sinner, if you are stiff-necked, if you refuse to soften your heart, and humble yourself under His mighty hand, then you will never find anyone so fierce as the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He will scoff at you. Scripture says, Psalm 2, He will dash you to pieces. He will rule you with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. He will be very hard on you and you cannot win. And his faithful shepherds are exactly the same. Look at what Paul says here. Verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask, 
that when I'm present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Verse 10. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this. That what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. You had better watch out. I am coming to Corinth. And if I need to, I will come not as a timid man, not as a weak man, not as a meek and gentle man. If I need to, I will come as a warrior and I will deal with you and you will not win. Paul says, you're fools. You are fools to look at my height or my baldness or my old clothes or my scars or my bad reputation, or my lack of credentials, or my lack of popularity, or my old car, or whatever it is you look at. You're fools to look at that. And think this man is of no consequence. He can't do anything to us. What's he going to do? On the contrary, the weapons of my warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses. I am destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And I am taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I am ready to punish all disobedience. And if you continue to harden yourself in your pride. I will, you will not win. Because you will be fighting against the weapons of the Lord Christ. What are, the, what are the lessons for us here? I hope they're obvious to us. Number one, the ministry of the gospel is a fight. It is warfare. I want all of you, all of us who are pastors or elders or who aspire to that and deacons, listen to this. The ministry of the gospel is a warfare. And those of us who are in the ministry had better be sure that we're using the right weapons. Listen to what Calvin says. Okay, I'm going to pull a, I'm going to pull a Tim Bailey on you. Except I use green highlighters. Listen to what Calvin says. Brothers, if you're in the ministry, especially listen. All right? The comparison between the ministry of the gospel and warfare is most apt for the whole life for the whole life of a Christian man is perpetual warfare. 
me read that again. I messed it up. The comparison between the ministry of the gospel and warfare is most apt for the whole life of a Christian man is perpetual warfare. For the man who devotes himself to God's service will never have any peace from Satan, but will be troubled by a continual disquietude, continual trouble all the time. But it is for ministers of the word and pastors to be standard bearers marching before the rest. And certainly there are none whom Satan harasses more, who are more severely set upon, or who sustain greater and more grievous wounds. The man who girds himself to fulfill this office is mistaken unless he is endued with courage and fortitude for the struggle. For all his work is to fight. All his work is to fight. He must learn to think of the gospel as a fire at which the wrath of Satan is enkindled, and so he cannot but arm himself to the fight whenever he sees an opportunity for advancing the gospel. If we think we will win spiritual battles by fleshly means, we are fools and we will lose, and nothing will come of our work. Brothers, let's be sure we're using the right weapons. Weapons that are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The Word of God. The preaching of the Word of God. Prayer. The administration of discipline as God has commanded. The binding and loosing that come through the authority of Jesus Christ and the keys of the kingdom of heaven that He has given us. Do not lose faith in the powerful weapons he's given us and be attracted by nothing. Brothers, guard ourselves against all the temptations to want the glitz, popularity, the ease. Let's guard ourselves against the temptation to use our own wisdom and our own strength. The weapons we have are divinely powerful. Let's recommit ourselves to using them. Second, these weapons are to be used not only in the world but in the church. Paul's not using these weapons, these divinely powerful weapons, in the context of evangelism in the world. It's very easy to read these verses and take them out of context and think, yeah, evangelism, tearing down strongholds. Taking over fortresses. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the church. He's using these weapons in the church. He's going to come to Corinth. He's going to come to the church in Corinth. And he's going to do battle with God's enemies in the church. And again, this is what God's faithful shepherds do. And if we think... For a moment, that the fight is mainly out there, we will have blood on our hands because we will not do our duty to fight in the church and for the church. Third, I appeal to all of you, just like Paul appealed to the Corinthians. Be sure that you don't harden yourself in your pride against Jesus Christ and against his ministers. Don't harden yourself against us. 
We don't want to come to you with the sword drawn. We want to come to you tenderly. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So forget about us. Forget about our joy and comfort. If you like your joy and comfort, let us come to you tenderly. Let us come to you tenderly. Respond to the tender appeals of your faithful shepherds. Please let us do our work with joy. Let us be soft to you. Let us come to you with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Don't fight against, God, against the discipline of God's ministers because you won't win. You can't win. Not because we, the elders and the pastors, are, are, are strong or macho or, or mean, but because you're fighting against the King of Heaven. And if we discipline you and you leave or you reject it, don't think that you have thwarted the hand of God's discipline. You can't thwart the hand of God's discipline. Because his arm is long and mighty and he will have his way with you either now or on the day of judgment. He will have his way with you. Don't run from him. Don't stiff arm him. You won't win. Let him deal with you now. I pray that God would deal with you now. And not on the day of judgment.